0: y'all welcome to the unfazed unedited podcast where we are giving you a bonus episode so no this will not be phase one two three uh but this will be a bonus episode with my Corey Birch fellow fellow that's with us here, um, who is an amazing woman who started a business during the pandemic. And we have railed about women owned, minority owned businesses and folks that want to work with us and how to do that well. So I thought it would be awesome to have my friend and my fellow fellow Alex Schreckengost come on to talk with me and Lisa about her business. So. Welcome, Alex. How are you doing and how are you making it uh, when it comes to business?
1: Well, First, thank you both for having me on the show today. I'm really, really excited and um, honored to be here. And honestly, how I'm making it is every day is a grind and introducing ourselves and our organization to global corporations has been the majority focus to really just share and tout, you know, inclusivity and how people need to build camaraderie no matter where they are in the world. And you can't clone yourself. I would like to. Um, but unfortunately, you can't have productive business meetings every day while also traveling everywhere and being ev- everything to everybody. Um, and that's really the premise of our organization. And what we do is providing that balance and being able to bring people together in different formats um, to be able to be inclusive for organizations that have employees, employees, literally everywhere.
2: Yeah, I was looking at your website, um, and I was really curious if you could share a little bit more about how you came up with the idea and how you launched, because you launched during the pandemic, and you specifically did so to provide support, income, income, for folks in the hospitality industry who had been laid off or furloughed, right? So you're kind of, you're already coming from a place of inclusivity and support and giving. And so I think it would be great for our listeners to kind of hear how you, how you traversed that and came up with that idea and then launched.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, it wasn't anything fancy. I was watching Netflix um, on my couch and drinking some wine and my very, very good friend who's a sommelier who is an award winner and she's pretty much the best human being um, called and said, you know, the restaurant told me not to come back and they don't know when I'm coming back. And she was like, I don't know what to do. I have to pay rent. And then on the other side of it, my husband, who's the head of East Coast sales at Content Square was like, "Hun, i I'm struggling. No one wants to take meetings with me. Everybody's scrambling and overwhelmed. Um, How do I maintain relationships? And so it started very casually. I had my full-time job at Wilson Daniels, which is a wine importer. I was their head of communications. And so I said, okay, let's set up some casual wine tastings. And then I really saw that there was an opportunity there. And I, on the other side of it was not happy um, at my at my job. I was dealing with a lot of misogyny, you know, a woman of color in the wine industry is, is tough. And it was a tough, uh, number of years and, you know, 20 years I spent in the industry from restaurant in front of house. And uh, one, I saw the hospitality industry and and what they do and appreciated them and, and came to love everything they do. And then on the other side, I saw how tough it is for women. And so bringing all those three components together um, during Netflix, I you know, brainstormed the idea. And two days later, I went paddleboarding and said, do I really want to resign from a steady job, even though I'm miserable? Because I have kids and I have a house to pay for. And it was one of the, it is one of the top, uh, you know, wholesalers in the country for wine. And I said, yeah, because I don't feel good about myself if I don't. And so I wrote that resignation letter after paddleboarding and I sent it. And I've not looked back since I gave them number of months of notice, but was doing my business on the side. So we officially launched in July. I left my full time job in October and we went we went a running and we were featured in Vogue magazine. And from there, we started to get a lot of corporate clients. And I told them, you know, every time you support me, every time you support this organization, you're supporting hospitality, you're supporting small businesses and even what goes in the boxes, um, we work with a lot of lot of small business artisans all over the world, and it really has become the model that I stand for, um, making sure that all of these small businesses continue to be marketed, continue to be in the hands of large corporate conglomerates, and to introduce such amazing products. So that's where it came from.
0: Well, you know, I've always thought that your story was super amazing because it was like, put emphasis on the emphasis, right? <laughs> it's like, this is what I already do, but let's bring all these folks together that do this work well on a high level and be a solution you know be a solution to so many people that were struggling and some are still trying to catch up um from losses during the pandemic that no they did not get a ppp loan or they did not get any other help or uh even city state local uh grants or support or loans in any way so i appreciate you just being able to see uh, the multiple layers of a solution you could provide now what i'm interested in knowing is obviously during this time period especially when you're handling food and you're around other people and all these other things how did you keep your folks safe because you know when it comes to service industries i mean something as simple as pouring someone a glass of wine and everyone holding the same stem could cause somebody to be ill and that's on a regular day not just during the pandemic it's it's exacerbated during a pandemic so how did you keep folks safe getting them back out into the industry to do this type of work um given that the model in is inherently uh, risky.
1: Yes, absolutely. So we were doing a virtual only model for the hosts. So the sommeliers, the mixologists, the chefs, they were virtually doing their events. They still do them. It's still 70% of our business. You know, when working with global organizations, they don't necessarily want to do in person because they can't fly people from all over the world. I mean, look at their bottom line. It would be hundreds of thousands of dollars to have flights from India and from the UK and from California to all come to New York, for example. Um, So for the events themselves, everybody was in the comfort of their own home. And then our warehouses, we had two packers per warehouse. That's it. Um, And no one went there, not even me. I I did video walkthroughs. Um, But it was very, very set in that we had to maintain compliancy. We had the government, you know, stop and look at our food license and the cleanliness. And it was kind of like to go for a restaurant where they were like, "Okay, how are you, you know, portioning this out? And where's your portion station for there? And so it continued and it still continues in that capacity because it is food. Um, We have our license and they come and they check everything and they're making sure that You know, the cleanliness is there. But during COVID, it was that much more aggressive where, you know, I was just hoping the two people in each location did not get sick. Um, It was just kind of like we're sink or swim. We've got to do this and we've got to maintain a lean staff to make sure everyone's safe. Um, And it worked really well. And we ended up hitting three million dollars in revenue in our first year. And we just continued with the safety measures. Everyone was wearing a mask. Everyone was wearing gloves. um, Things were going out and portioned uh, stainless steel stations. And still to this day, we we maintain that model because we fulfill globally and everybody has different restrictions still.
2: It's interesting, right? Because one of the biggest um, aha moments for folks who don't work in the hospitality industry was that... The pandemic or the risks associated with the pandemic disproportionately impacted low income, um, predominantly women, predominantly folks of color who are working in the service industry. So you have this, you know, awakening, I suppose, for people who are um, unaware of that dynamic and then how the hospitality industry kind of pivoted in some ways really well. Like it sounds like that's what you did and in other ways, not so much, right? Continuing to put folks at risk. I'm wondering if you have a perspective kind of given your history in working in hospitality around how, you know, how that pandemic um, awareness around who is getting most harmed or who is getting most put at risk um played out and then where you, where your organization fits into all of that?
1: Yeah. You know, I think predominantly a lot of people that were from, you know, white collar, if you want to look at the white collar professionals, right. The traditional sayings, because I know we, we shift and we speak to it differently, but folks that were in an office setting that got to just work from the comfort of their home didn't have that, Really visibility into wow, these people actually are not getting paid for months at a time. They don't have health insurance for their families because the restaurants don't provide them. And it was an interesting education to bring, you know, tech, real estate, pharmaceutical in the room with these folks virtually, where I did have Psalms openly speak about their story and say, you know, I've been in the industry for 40 years and. I'm hosting these now and only hosting these now. And I have, you know, there was just very little support there. And yes, some of the more established restaurant groups and hotel groups were able to pivot and pay and take care of their teams. And they were able to do really cool things like to-go and pop-ups and outdoor spaces. But there were a lot that, one, didn't have the resources to begin with because they're small mom and pa shops. Or they just didn't know because they're very linear in the hospitality industry. And that goes for wine where I came from. It's just how it's been run for the last 40 years. And that's just how they do it. And so it was really a struggle to be able to educate people openly and say, you know, this is not as simple and as black and white as you're saying it. There's a lot of factors that go into supporting the hospitality industry or any industry that was, you know, impacted, if you look at Amazon delivery folks, even though it's a huge corporation, or if you look at anybody that had to be on the ground during that time, there was very little understanding for the fact that these people were risking their lives and or just didn't have money to pay for their livelihoods. And I I think to to really answer your question, the, the biggest proponent was the lack of education and resources. Um, that truly, truly impacted the industry in that capacity, um, and I'm starting to see more people being open to what's happening now.
0: Mm-hmm. No, you're you're making me think, Alex, of that time when uh, you know we started talking about who's an essential worker and who's not. And at that time it was you know our folks that were working at the grocery store, in fact, uh, to make sure that we could go in and get food and some of those basic things and so forth. So I appreciate how it started to educate people because the folks that are in the service industry often are, I hate, I hate to say it in this way, they're not invisible, but folks, turn away from seeing them because they're in a service industry but as soon as all that disappears then all of a sudden it's like where's my food and where's my wine and so you know given that I think uh the heightened awareness that you're organization is bringing to this i think it's just really profound and i hope we keep this heightened sense of awareness between pandemics here um it shouldn't take a pandemic for folks to bring awareness but i'm glad we have it now um so let me ask this because i know you and i both met through tory birch and it was all about women's empowerment and business and so forth what would you say was your biggest challenge separate and apart from a whole pandemic i i get that being a major challenge but what do you see as your biggest challenge thus far um my biggest challenge one
1: is the there's so many um you know i'm a i'm a small startup so and i have a fully remote team and finding You know, the ability and the resources as a bootstrapped, you know, we've been supported by many grants, but we're bootstrapped. And my husband and I have funded personally from our savings to be able to maintain. And a lot of it drives it, a lot of the driving factors is revenue. So if we have any issues on our operations, it hurts my bottom line, it hurts my home, it hurts my savings and my husband's. And so, one, that's an issue for me internally is when I work with my operations team is getting them to understand that spending an extra $100 or $20 is really a big deal. And then also the fundraising piece of resources, there's, you know, while there's a many people that are saying they're supporting women, entrepreneurs, and especially women of color, Shauna, I know you can you can understand and relate to this as well as you, Lisa, but a lot of folks aren't giving money to women. It's less than 1% of of women of color receive funding. So when I'm going out to investors and venture capital funds, they are very traditional old school environment. And I'm going in with a new future of work idea where I have to sit there and and defend myself. And then I'm like, do I want to be part of that organization? Do I want to take their money or are they going to turn my whole company around? So- it's the resources on the one side. And if I had the money to bring in, you know, a chief operations officer, it would fix it. But then on the other side, it's going to go raise that money where, you know, not everyone is like Tori Birch. Tori has been amazing in that she comes back and she's like, what can I do? What resources can I give you all? What can I, how can I further support you? And so does her her board and her team. Many, many organizations don't truly do that. And they, you know, kind of run you through the gutter. um, And they'll kind of say, okay, I need you to bring back this strategy. And then they're like, nope, we need you to be a a tech company to give you money. Um, And not everyone that's going to launch is going to be an an AI or tech specific company. We're soft tech, if you will. Um, So the resources has been the largest struggle for a small startup like us.
2: One of the things that Shona and I have talked about is the impending um, onslaught of, uh, I'm using too many words here, but the undermining of initiatives that are designed to fund women-owned businesses or particularly women of color-owned businesses. So grants or venture capital funds, right, that are specifically designed for a group of people. And, you know, the anticipation that those are going to get challenged in court as being discriminatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if you have a thought on why it's so important. I mean, you're already highlighted that so, so little money goes to women in general and then even less to women of color. So why is it important that these funds or these opportunities continue to grow versus get cut back? Well,
1: I think it's, you know, we have, drive we have the opportunity to really make an impact and a difference we have a different perspective um you know i think for me i have a disability i'm a woman of color um i'm a mom and so having leaders that are different takes away that groupthink it brings in diversity and inclusion and the largest piece is that you know we shouldn't all be the same we should all think differently we should all bring our different perspectives and that is what is going to make an impact for the future of work, for the future of entrepreneurship and fundraising, is having an openness to everyone's differences. You know, how I would run my business, Shauna and yourself, you know, Lisa, you're, you're going to run it different um, and you're going to have thoughts about it. And as long as it's, you know, a cohesive thought and there's leadership there, I want it. I want to hear it. I want you to run it in that way. And I think that if, investors and and venture capital funds start to think in that vein, they're going to open up the door to a lot of creativity and to a lot of innovation on how we work in a professional environment moving forward, because it's changed a lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Alex, uh, Lisa and I have spent the lion's share of our careers working in a lot of higher ed environments where we get to see young minds that are about to go out into the world and they have very different expectations, whereas the the description of a workplace that you just gave us is what they're expecting uh, because we've kind of prepped them for that. And then when they get there and find something different, they're like, wait a minute. If you're not uh, uh, Alex, Shauna or Lisa type, then I'm not even sure I want to work for you. Um, and so I appreciate you kind of naming that this should be kind of woven into what we do. Um, so let me ask this as kind of our last question, because we hope that lots of folks from various industries listen to the unfaced Unedited podcast. And we oftentimes have opportunities to connect or at least to be heard by larger businesses from various industries. And so given that, many of them, I've yet to find one who hasn't at least espoused that they want to work with businesses like us, women-owned, minority-owned, veteran-owned. In Maryland, we call it disadvantaged organizations. So given that, what advice would you give to those folks who say they want to work with organizations like us, but they may or may not help that process out? What would you give them as far as advice to working with folks like the three of us.
1: I mean, it's really having an openness. You know, I understand that they need revenue. I understand that they need to see that the the vision is profitable and that there is a cohesive vision. That's one thing. But if there is, there needs to be an open mind to saying, okay, things are going to work a little bit differently, but this might might be the ticket. And again, you have to show success. But when I walk into a room and you walk into a room, and you walk into a room, and you're saying, this is my business plan, this is how much money we've made thus far, we're profitable, or some startups, were almost profitable, or we're, you know, pre profit, but we've created something here that is actually going to change the world, actually be open to the idea. I think a lot of it is just shutting doors, and you need warm leads to even get in the door. And there's no... Like, let's just sit here and listen. And I do understand time is your most valuable commodity. I get it. They get a lot of people coming at them. Most entrepreneurs don't succeed. You know, what, 90% of startups fail? But the thing is, if you have an established startup, and, and all of us can speak to that. because I mean, my startup's been running for four years. Clearly, there's a vision there. Clearly, there's an impact um, we're so busy that we're flailing. So clearly there's a demand. So there needs to be the opportunity to say, okay, this is what the vision is, but these are why I need your resources and I need your help. And there needs to be that openness. And I just, I don't see it quite yet. I'm hoping it'll continue to evolve and change in the coming years. I'll find out in January cause I have to fundraise. So I'll be going on that tour and seeing what they say to me in those VC funds, but. Having that conversation, be able to say, hey, this is where we're at, and this is where we're going, and are you open to listening to me? And I wish that they would be.
0: Well, I absolutely love that, Alex, and I feel like uh, we are kind of three peas in a pod here in that we've been past similar rocks before as far as challenges, but also successes when it comes to the work that we do. If we had not been at least remotely successful, we wouldn't even be here on this conversation. So um, I just want to thank you so much for, well, I just want to stop and be grateful that we even met through uh, the Tory Burch Foundation and how we kind of met through that process. Um, I think it was so interesting to see so many uh, powerful women in business from different identity groups come together and talk about very similar challenges, even though they were in different industries. Um, so I'm grateful that we got to partner and I'm grateful that you got to meet like the other half of my brain over here, Dr. Ingerfield, um, who, who keeps me in check, but also we complete each other's sentences at the same time so Alex that's pretty scary um but in in the greatest way but thank you uh for joining us because we see how busy you are (laughs) and so the (laughs) fact that you gave us a few minutes is just incredible so thank you so much for being with us
2: yeah it was really really great Alex one last thing why don't you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you or learn more about your business culture with us
1: Absolutely. So you can go to culturewithus.com to see our packages and all the great work we're doing and case studies, as well as customers that we work with. And you can follow me on Instagram, Alex Schreck, S-C-H-R-E-C, to see the adventures of Culture With Us. But you also get to see my family and all the food. I'm a big food and wine person. So you'll get to have some recommendations for when you're out enjoying as well.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I am so excited and honored. um, And I look forward to speaking with you both again soon. Happy holidays. Happy
0: holidays.
2: Well, that was such a great conversation. It was really nice to meet Alex. You know, I think um, I don't know a lot about the hospitality industry. I do know that I have been trying to purchase wine and other food, goods, um, from small businesses, from women, um, and women of color owned businesses. Like I've been trying to be more, much more intentional about that since the pandemic. Um, so it was really good to learn about her business. One of the things that struck me, I think Mm -hmm. was, you know, she'd worked in the field for 30 years, I think was what she said. Mm -hmm. And the misogyny that she experienced, I mean, We didn't go into that, right? But I have friends who have been servers in restaurants, women friends, and they've all talked about the ways in which they have experienced sexism and how stressful it is. Um, You know, and it just it just makes me really sad to know Mm -hmm. that that's still such an enduring experience for women. And then for Mm -hmm. Alex, obviously, as a woman of color, too, she's got that intersectional position of racism and sexism. And then how she has decided – and then when she was paddleboarding, right, she's like, I'm miserable. I'm going to do something for myself, and I'm going to resign and get out of this space, and I'm going to do something and build a business that is inclusive and that is meaningful for me and create space and opportunity for Uh people that have been harmed by the industry. So that I just found to be really inspiring. And, um, you know, Mm. like, I mean – there's so many professions where women and women of color, folks with disabilities just have multiple negative experiences, right? And not everyone mm-hmm. can leave those jobs. But to hear her talk about making that change, I just thought was it was just really um, inspiring for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, after meeting Alex and knowing a little bit of her story mm-hmm. uh, through Tori Birch, uh, she reminds me very much of the, um, which you actually gifted me, uh, the McBride sisters. She can set the woman owned business, minority owned business, which I so appreciated. Um, she reminds me very much of that story and that concept of, no, I don't want to be miserable anymore. Um, I do want to do my own thing. I realize the risk, and I'm making a strategic step towards this. Um, and it's kind of like that um, that meme I see often on social media. It's like a mug that it says F it, I'll do it myself." Signed women, signed black women, signed people. Like it's it's always yes. us, some combination right. of us uh, that ends up being the solution the answer to problem that's very clear and i think you know that kind of goes back to uh the industry even knowing or caring that it is a problem because alex made Mm -hmm. it very clear that all of that had been has been chronically historically a problem and she and some others are becoming those who are the answer or the solution right or at least the interruption to that Mm -hmm. type of behavior in their industry. So I'm so glad that she was able to join us. And I think what was most uh, inspiring is all of her multiple identities, and how she brought that into her work so that it's not only her answer, but it's countless other folks answer um, when they're dealing with the foolishness. And so, you know, so when we start thinking about, you know, social justice, how apropos that it's happening, even in this moment, that there's so many different ways in the creativity that comes along with mm-hmm. being the solution to a challenge. You know, yeah. What what's that phrase? If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to get what you've always gotten. And yeah, she interrupts yeah. that, you know, yeah, which yeah. I think is so powerful. So I'm so glad she got to join us. Um, so Lisa, we, we have now uh, our pod where our mouth is, when we're always talking about woman-owned, minority-owned, disadvantaged businesses, vendors who need to work with us. These are folks that we feel strongly about supporting. So uh, we've done that here. So we hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode of Unfaced Unedited. Y'all know where to find us. Go to YouTube to find us there, Instagram to find us there, LinkedIn, uh, and also the website, unfacedpodcast.com, where you can find old episodes, new episodes. Now you have a bonus episode. Who knows? We may do more down the road, Uh, but make sure to share this, share this with other people Uh that are in this phase of your life. So thanks to Alex and Lisa, we should do this again sometime.
2: Yes, we definitely should. We'll see you.